0: This is Unfinished Business, a weekly discussion show about the business end of web, design and creative industries. And today is Friday, the 15th of February, 2013. The show wouldn't be possible without our two fantastic sponsors, Blush and FreeAgent. Blush does beautiful letterpress printing of cards, stationery and more for designers and artists. And Free Agent's a web app that helps you with your business accounts. We'll talk more about them later in the show. I'm Andy Clark and I'm joined by my good friend and the best co-host anyone could ever want, the amazing Anna Debenham. It's your birthday this week. Yeah. Pen will E.T. Pen will E.T. Pen will e Anna. Pen will E.T.
1: Thank you. <laughs> that was Welsh.
0: It was. Has anybody sung, has anybody sung happy birthday to you in Welsh this week? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I had to learn. I had to I had to learn how to say that especially. Because I don't say Welsh. Well, I say a few words in Welsh. I can say bendigedig dioch. Araf. What does that mean? Slow. Oh. Oh, because you see that on roads, though. That's yeah. <laughs> and what's the other one? That's gwasanaithau or something, which is like the longest word for services. <laughs> and you see it on the roads, too. What else can I say in Welsh? Um, achavi. 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 I think see, that's I it. know that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's 15 years we've been living here.
1: Achavie.
0: No, that's not actual Welsh, is it?
1: Yeah, that that's cheers and Welsh. Is it?
0: Oh, yeah. I never knew that. I was probably I'm,
1: pronouncing it really badly.
0: But... Oh, I'm just hopeless. Completely, <laughs> completely hopeless. Did you have a nice birthday?
1: Yeah, I did. I went to the zoo.
0: I saw... You were. You sent me a picture of a gorilla, which cheered me up a lot. What was? Yeah. Was it? Was he a happy-looking gorilla?
1: Not really. <laughs> he looked just, a bit sad.
0: I mean, it was kind of just in one of those, like, enclosures that have big branches and stuff stuck in concrete. It didn't look like he was in a very natural kind of habitat.
1: Yeah, he looked kind of bored.
0: But... I don't know how you entertain a gorilla, really. <laughs> Stop them being bored. But was he just on his own or were there others around?
1: I think there were others, but they were in a different bit. So he was just kind of on his own and just sort of sitting there and sneezed a bit and sort of, yeah.
0: Looking mean and moody.
1: Yeah. I wasn't sure what the difference was between a gorilla and an ape. And And I thought you would get angry if it was the wrong one (laughs) a
0: gorilla's a type of ape we're a type of ape we're just we're all sim well no they're Ah. simians we're humans so we're all primates
1: oh i was looking i spent ages looking for the apes
0: (laughs) yeah no there's there's us and gorillas and chimpanzees and bonobos who are not the same thing and orangutans as well (laughs) so yeah we're all we're all primates we're all related but there's some, two
1: different some more than others.
0: <laughs> some, well, there's, well, there's two different types of gorillas. There's there's the ones that you see in zoos, which are always the uh, western lowland gorillas, mm-hmm. and then there's the mountain gorillas. And you never see those. There aren't any in zoos at all. There's only like 680 or something in the world,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they live you know they live quite high up. So they're they're the ones that really really need looking after.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, I I <laughs> I got some new apes though this week. Oh no. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: How many have you got now?
0: Well, I've got quite a collection, but I've started. I've started a little collection of what they call Kubrick uh, Planet of the Apes figures. They're like um, they're like Lego people, but yeah, you get the gorillas and the chimps. And I've got three. I've got Cornelius and Zira and Doctor Milo, which were the three chimpanzees that land on Earth in the spaceship. Yeah. In Escape from the Planet of the Apes? Wait, you say, yeah, no, you have no, no idea. I haven't seen that. You have no idea. Okay, well, I won't tell you. What we should.
1: Well, you just spoiled it for me. <laughs> no, I
0: didn't spoil the whole thing, because there's much more to the story than, hey, some chimpanzees arrive in a spaceship. Um, but I, we should do, we should watch the movie, we should watch a movie once a week.
1: And... Oh, we should do, um, like a commentary.
0: Well, like the director's commentary. Yeah. Now that's actually not a bad idea. Watch I was it over
1: thinking. Skype.
0: I was just thinking that we would do something like John Gruber and Dan used to do. You yeah, know, they about did Bond the Goodfellas,
1: movies. and it was amazing—like three hours long.
0: Did they actually do the commentary on that?
1: No, but they—they they just spent a long time talking about. It. Mm. And there, there were bits like there were clips in there.
0: I, I just think we should do that. We should talk about movies. Talk about eight movies first, but yeah. So. Those are my new apes, and I, and they're, they're a lot cheaper than the other ones. You can get them on eBay for sort of between 15 and a kind of £35 pound a set, so they're not, the kind of, they're not the kind of things. I could, I could buy all of them in one go. I think it cost me about £280. Quid.
1: I um, saw you, you were going to buy a boiler suit.
0: No, that was... Oh, <laughs> I, no, do you know what? I don't think I'd spend that much money. It's £1,200, and it's an original screen-worn red gorilla boiler suit from conquest of the planet, the apes. And I mean, what am I going to do with that? I'm not going to wear it around the house. Am I actually I could do, but I, I don't think that I'm that much of a collector, to be honest. I mean, I like the stuff that I've got and I like the stuff that I kind of fancy tinkering with, but I'm not the kind of guy that would wear a boiler suit, to be honest, or have it hanging on the back of the door. I'm not Shane Ritchie. So what else has happened this week?
1: Um, I saw something that made me angry.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> what?
1: Um, there was the site called, uh, Fitness SF. I saw this. Yeah. It's, it's basically a, a kind of revenge site it's set up by a, a freelancer. Basically, the client didn't pay him for the work that he'd done. And so he put up a, a page on the, on the client's site. Um, cause I guess he had FTP access. Just saying, kind of, yeah, you didn't, you didn't pay us, and so now you can't use the site. Um, and it, it was it more,
0: kind of... it, it was more than that, though, wasn't it? Yeah, Do you think?
1: yeah.
0: I've, I've got the thing in front of me. Should I, should I read a little bit out of what this guy yeah. said? And, and before we, before we start, really, I think it's important to say that we shouldn't speculate on any of this. I'm not, ma- I'm not making any judgments one way or the other. No, um, and I'm not going to talk about. The, the details of, of this, because I think it's wrong. It will be wrong of us to do that.
1: Yeah. But I mean, um, the reason I am bring it up, because, because I've seen, I've seen things like this before quite, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was, there was another site that was kind of the same thing. Um, someone had put up a, a sort of screenshot of an invoice, an unpaid invoice. Um, and I, 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 saw, I, saw, I've seen a few other ones as well. And it's just, yeah, I, I I'd like to talk about it.
0: No, it's it's an important topic because, because I think it's important that we can talk about how to handle something like this. Yeah, exactly. But but I don't want to get into the details of, you know, of, of one side said this and the other side said that and what the details are because I think that that's, that's a, it's, it's wrong, completely wrong, um, whether it's business or in any other respect to, you know, get involved in something which is not your business. Yeah. Um, but let me just, let me just read, um, what this designer developer put up on on the client site fitness sf preferred to ignore our invoices instead of paying them as a result this website is no longer operational half a year's worth of work including gallery featured logo renderings with over twenty seven thousand views apiece it's simply a matter of morals having morals and acting upon them or not having any and just betraying people that got you started Sadly, we've come to know what Fitness SF stands for, or you wouldn't be reading this. Your words on their Facebook account will go a long way. We're a small company in the heart of Europe, which is probably why Fitness SF believes they can sit this out until we perish. Can you support a company that asks like this? Well, there's a lot of anger there, isn't there? Mm. Come on, tell me what you're thinking.
1: I'm thinking they're saying... um you know half a year's worth of work i just I wonder how you can get into a situation where you you don't have any payment for half a year you know i I'd, I'd, I'd think within a, a couple of months I'd be asking questions I wouldn't wait half a year I mean I don't know the the details of the case but you shouldn't be in this situation where the client the client' site is kind of done and you haven't been paid for it
0: well i mean there's there's a lot to talk about here, isn't it? I mean, yeah. clearly something went wrong, and I think something clearly went wrong on both sides, yeah, from the client and from the designer developer point of view. Because presumably, and, and again, we mustn't speculate about this, but presumably, I mean, just okay, I'll, I'll just say it from my point of view. Imagine that I'm working with this client, and you know, there's a, there's a series of things to do over over a long period of time. And what am I doing? I'm sending work. Yeah. Now how often are you sending work? You know, you, you're not waiting you're not waiting for 4 months or 6 months and then just sending a whole load of stuff at the end. Presumably, I would be sending stuff on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, every few days, at least once a week. I'd be having conversations with the client because presumably there was sign-off discussions, design discussions, all kinds of discussions that might have been going on between designer and developer and client. So how as a business person, you can let that amount of debt accrue and still carry on working.
1: Mm. You're um, basically lending them money.
0: Yeah. Who was it that said that, you know, when you're working for clients, you're not lending them your car. Is that
1: yes, Rachel? Yeah. Rachel.
0: So I think that th- there's questions to be asked there. Um And, you know, clearly, from a business point of view, you need to make sure, and we've talked about this on previous shows, where Mm -hmm. good business is only good business if it's working for both sides. You know, you want to be doing a fantastic job and you want to be getting the accolades and you want to be getting paid because it's it's a balance between the two sets of needs. Yeah. Um, And that means that both sides have a responsibility to keep that kind of relationship going. And clearly something went wrong here.
1: It's also, I think it's really unprofessional to do this sort of thing. I mean, no matter what kind of situation you get in, this should not be the output. You know, you've got so many other options, things like taking the client to small claims court or, like in your case, sending around bailiffs. This is kind of, this reflects badly on not just the client but also the freelancer.
0: Well, what you've got to do really is you've got to look at you've got to look at motives and you've got to look at aims and objectives now clearly in this particular case a designer is going to want to get paid yeah so that's the objective and you can only get paid by um, a company which is a talking to you generally um, and b is in business to have enough money to pay you in the first place Mm. so for example, putting up something which is going to be, um, detrimental to that client's business is by definition potentially going to influence their ability to pay you. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's on a practical level. And if, you know, if you never speak to that person again, if you never speak to that client again, then, you know, the relationship was, was over anyway. Um, what you need is to get paid. I, I, I honestly don't believe that that's, that's going to achieve anything. Mm. Um, what it does do is it airs a grievance and, you know, there are channels for this kind of stuff. Um, and there are mechanisms as you just described for this kind of stuff. I mean, in the UK, obviously we have the small claims court.
2: Yeah.
0: So if I do some work for you and you don't pay and we have a a, a legitimate agreement, then, you know, I can sue you for that. Hmm and you know there are trading standards organisations and other things within the uk professional bodies for example that can help you uh get regress, get redress for your problem
1: yeah it's another reason why it's so important to have a contract
0: it is it is but this kind of public um grievance airing um actually doesn't it doesn't doesn't do anything other than you know potentially give you a you know, a few minutes of satisfaction.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, because it doesn't actually achieve the aim. It doesn't help get you paid. Um, and as I say, there, there are ways in which you can, that you can do this. I mean, I don't know the legalities of putting something like that up. And I imagine the legalities vary from, you know, region to region. Yeah. But you really do have to be so careful. Yeah. Um, and you know, to start talking about, uh, a company like this in terms of, you know, not having morals, uh, betraying, uh, people, that kind of thing re- really doesn't have a place. I don't think certainly not in a professional context. Well, even in a personal context. Yeah. Um, for, for all kinds of reasons. Um, so that, that's kind of like the negative side of it. Positive side of it. How would, how, what would be the way to handle something like this? Because in both of those examples that you mentioned, one is kind of a, you know, a revenge statement, if you like. <laughs> um, and then the other one I'm just looking at here, um, somebody posting their invoice instead of a client site.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, Caribbean Dutch pot restaurant. Um, yeah. basically it was a site. The freelancer just sort of uploaded their invoice because it hadn't been paid. Um, and even, even that kind of just looking at the things on the invoice, you know, that's, I don't know, maybe that's for another podcast, but just the way that it's been um, split up.
0: No deposit.
1: Yeah. I know. And
0: also, again, it goes back to, you know, what are you trying to achieve here? Um, And in my mind, anyway, a client-supplier relationship, designer-developer-client relationship involves, it involves a lot of mutual trust or should do. And implicit in that is that they will learn things about you and you will learn things about them, and that is there's an unwritten rule that that these things you know don't go out to the wider world
2: yeah
0: um and I think that if you put something like that up there uh even if it's just your invoice, even if there's no commentary, something like that, then you could be in danger of making it look as though you couldn't you can't be trusted, yeah. Um, I, I do
1: wonder what kind of potential clients would think of that.
0: Yeah, I, I would feel very, very uncomfortable about doing something like that. Um If you're going to take the client's site down, let's imagine that, you know, you've designed something for them and you control the hosting. Yeah. Now, if you don't control the hosting, then I think you're on very, very dodgy ground Yeah. to FTP into somebody's server and take a site down.
1: I mean, taking sites down because someone hasn't paid their hosting bill is pretty kind of... Systematic,
0: totally legitimate,
1: but totally to go legitimate. and kind of write a whole thing, yeah, that's just kind of that's kind of rude. I
0: think that is. <laughs> There's a matter of degrees, isn't there? And you know, removing somebody's site totally because they haven't paid for, um well, actually, let's think about that for a minute. Because if they haven't paid for hosting, mm. then you can take the site down. But if they haven't paid for you for design work. Which is kind of separate and maybe a separate line item, different line item on the invoice or a set of invoices. Then, are you legitimately able to take a site down that's already there because they haven't paid for something else?
2: Mm. It's
0: like you know, it's like Sainsbury's taking back my pudding because I haven't paid for my for my main course. Yeah. You know, that I, I I don't know. I would be very 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 careful uh, legally. Um, about what you're entitled to do and what you can't do.
1: I'd maybe think about having something in the contract. You know, if, if you're designing a, a site for someone, but not, you're not kind of controlling the host and you're not putting it live, just having something in there saying, you know, invoice has to be paid before any of the work goes live. I wonder if that would, would kind of help your case a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not always as easy as that though, is it? Because, no. you know, sometimes, and I know we've had this in the past where sometimes bad debt occurs on sites that are already live and you're just doing, you know, you're, you're doing extra stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very hard to unwind it. But yeah, I, I, I think a word of caution on, on things like this because you have to be very, very careful what you say publicly um, mm. about situations like this. Uh, and I think you can get yourself all kinds of trouble too. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I know that we all know about Apple suing Samsung or whatever, but I would just look at somebody that you admire or look at uh, a company that you would admire and think, how do they deal with that? How would they yeah. deal with that? Um, and You know, our medium is the web, which is what we understand. We understand Twitter and websites and stuff like that. So our first reaction might be to put something up on there.
1: Yeah, because it's what we know. We know how to (laughs) put words on a site.
0: Exactly. But, you know, would would Apple or John Lewis or Sainsbury's or Tesco or, I have to think of some American examples (laughs) for American listeners, Best Buy or Walmart, you know, would they take out full-page ads? No, of course they wouldn't. Mm. Um and and I think you need to be you know we need to look up we need to look at better examples.
1: Yeah. I mean the first step is to prevent this from happening at all. But the second step is to just not do this sort of thing.
0: I I agree with you on that one. I do agree with you. We should mention that uh, any links that we mention in the show um we've got notes for those and you can get the notes for this show at unfinished.bz or b z s- slash six that's the number six one thing I want to talk about briefly mm-hmm. um just before we start off with our first sponsor is a couple of people have been asking me, and I've seen some comments on uh across Twitter about sponsors on podcasts in general
2: mm-hmm. and
0: about how they kind of you know can interrupt the flow of a discussion, things like that. Um, and I just thought it would be, as we're talking about business and we're being transparent about these things, just to talk about why we need sponsors on this show. Yep. And what we spend our money on. Cause, you know, we, I I think everybody should know this by now, but you know, we're not doing this because we want to be, we don't want to be, we're not doing this for the money. Um, but what we do have, we do have some costs attached to the website. Um, and that's what the sponsors help us to, to cover. So we have our, um, Buzzsprout, which happens to serve all the RSS feeds and does all the iTunes, uh, integration and serves all our bandwidth. So if you're downloading this show now through any, uh, media, it's coming off Buzzsprout rather than off servers that, that we have. And there's a monthly cost of that. I forget what it is. It's about $25 a month, isn't it? Mm.
1: Sounds right.
0: Something along those lines. It's not expensive. Seems to be quite a good service too, so far.
1: Yes, I like it.
0: And then the other thing, which we haven't talked about yet because we haven't launched it properly yet, but I think we can just hint, <laughs> just hint a little bit is that you in particular are very keen on something. Tell me, tell us what that is.
1: Transcriptions.
0: Yeah. So we haven't launched these yet, but every one of our episodes, uh, going back to the first one, Mm-hmm. Uh, is being professionally uh transcribed Um and that's the thing and that costs money because it takes time for somebody to sit there typing how many words a
1: minute uh oh i haven't actually asked but it takes um i know it takes about three hours for a one hour show um and yeah there, it is you know there is a cost to that but i think it's it's worth it because you know, not everyone can listen to a podcast. Some people prefer to read. And it's also nice to be able to, like for me, to be able to go go back and see, oh, which episode was it that we talked about this?
0: Sure. Well, I know that I keep saying to you that I'm going to work out some way of kind of styling those transcripts a little better mm-hmm. Um so that, you know, they kind of read a little, little bit more like a kind of a you and me conversation. Yeah. Um, which could be a nice little nice little thing to do when I get some time. but uh,
1: I want to do some sort of anchor links as well, so people can link to specific bits.
0: Yeah. But that's why we need sponsors. So who's our first sponsor for this week? Our
1: first sponsor is FreeAgent. That's one and, of yours. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're my favourite. <laughs> so I've been using FreeAgent for a good few years. I think it's about 2008. Um And what FreeAgent is, is it's a web app that helps you manage your expenses and invoices. And... It's built by a really nice team. They're up in Edinburgh. Uh, so when you when you import bank statements into the app, and you you kind of explain each of the business transactions, and it helps you work out how much tax you owe. And it's also got some really nice features, like you can use it to create estimates and invoices, which you can customize using CSS. And I get it to automatically send a reminder email to the client if an invoice goes overdue. Um, I know that was something that you weren't keen on, but I really like doing that. Um, you can get it to send a thank you email as well when you've been paid. So our friend, Cole Henley, he's got quite a cute one of his kids, like it's a picture of his kids that gets sent saying, thank you. We're, we've, we've been fed now. Something like that. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Um, so it's got a dashboard that shows you a graph with, with real-time cash flow, so that I know how much money is due to come in and how much I've got going out and whether I'm making a profit. And there's also a new feature I've been trying out, the beta of um that's now been rolled out, and that's automatic bank feeds. Um, and what it does is it pulls in your, your bank statements every, every day. It means you don't have to log into your ugly bank's website to download statements.
0: Yuck, no more HSBC.
1: Actually, um, HSBC is the only, pretty much the only bank that they don't support, but they're oh. trying really hard to, I know they're trying really hard to, to get that into free agent. Okay. So hopefully very soon, um, but, yeah, it's it's so good being able to – I'm not with HSBC, so I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so you can use Freagent on your mobile or tablet or laptop. and um, So I do things like I fill in my timesheet and expenses in the app on the train every week, and it works out how much I need to invoice. And they've worked really hard to make that experience as easy and painless and beautifully designed as possible. It's a really nice app to use. So I set up special access within the app for my accountant so that he sees all the information he needs. And he says that he really likes it as well. And you can set up an unlimited number of users for each account and choose what permissions and access that you give them. Um, So, Andy, you could set up your employee with an account which they could use to submit their timesheets for each project. And then that would generate an invoice. So all the data is backed up several times an hour to a secure server so that your data is safe. And FreeAgent used 256-bit SSL technology to encrypt the data, which is the same encryption standard as banks. And the best bit is that they have a team of dedicated in-house support accountants who you can call or email if you have a question about using FreeAgent. And the team hosts regular individual getting started sessions so that you're able to set yourself up correctly. And as well as that, they hold a series of webinars, um, webinars, taking you through an introduction to FreeAgent and walking you through all the features. So they've got a, f- a free 30-day trial, so give it a go. Um, you don't need a credit card or anything, and you can cancel any time. So let them know we sent you at freeagent.com forward slash unfinishedbusiness. That's all one word.
0: I really should look at that.
1: You really should. What are you using at the moment?
0: Well, I mean, bearing in mind that we started doing our accountant, accountancy kind of practices 15 years ago, um, We really haven't changed them since then. So we are still using Sage.
1: That's Um, pants.
0: Well, okay. So we're still using a version of Sage that they don't support. I mean, I think the thing must be a decade old, which means that, uh, you know, it has to run on Windows. And when we finally let go of our last Windows machine, we managed to move this thing to a virtual machine. Oh. Um, on the Mac. Now, yes. yeah, and this is the thing, because that particular Mac is still running, uh, Lion rather than Mountain Lion. And I know, I just know that I can't upgrade that machine to Mountain Lion without upgrading VMware, which means upgrading the virtual machine that that Sage <laughs> is on. And you can just imagine how, how enthusiastic you, I am about doing you've that. You just
1: gotta, you just gotta rip the plaster off.
0: I know. But, you know, when you've got people that is, it's okay for, you know, might be okay for geeks sometimes. But when you've got people that are non-geekish and mm-hmm. like our bookkeeper who comes in and, you know, does things, um, once every quarter and we hand things to our accountant, um, they're familiar with that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, it, yeah, it is something that I know that we need to do. Um,
1: I was, I had the same concern. And, you know, when I, when I set up and, I asked my accountant, Oh, how do you feel about using free agent? And he'd never used it before. And he took a look at it and he said, wow, this is really impressive. And now he's like recommending it to, to his clients. So I think it's worth kind of, you know, get, get, you know, set up a free trial and just show it to your accountant and see how they react. They might end up saying this is brilliant.
0: We really do need to do that. It's been on my mind for, it's been on my mind for such a long time, but, as i don't happen to do the accounts myself <laughs> it's not been top of my priority oh it's not
1: your concern <laughs> If
0: it'd been if it had been upgrading you know some of my software then i'd have done it months ago
1: it's basically your reaction will be the same as when you started using sas and you were like this is just brilliant
0: yeah i'm sure i know i know it's something that we need to do i know it's something that we need to do so what's today's topic
1: Today, we are talking about getting work.
0: We had some emails and some tweets about this. Um, One topic suggestion from Bobby Hewitt, um, who sent us an email to say, just wanted to drop you a future episode suggestion. How to get clients if you're starting out with none, was one. Um, And another one here from Daniel Tomlinson. Hi, Daniel. You've spoken about rates and securing clients once they send the initial email, but you haven't spoken about that getting that initial influx of trade. I've had some work, but mostly through people I've met on the off chance or through people I've helped finish up some code on their portfolios who have gone and put my name forward. But I really struggle to get actual work in, especially when trying to do development only. That's interesting because there's a couple of things wrapped up in Daniel's question there, which, which I find interesting. Um, one, somehow, if you get work through other people, they recommend you that Daniel seems to, (laughs) doesn't seem to think that that counts as actual work. (laughs) Um, I guess it depends
1: on the type of people. If it's sort of friends saying, Oh, you can, you can make my friend's band website or, you know, the kind of the stuff that, that's nice to do when you're starting out, but maybe he's wanting to move on to kind of bigger, bigger work.
0: Yeah, true. It could be that. I mean, I've got to say that, and we'll talk about referrals in a minute, but I would say that probably 80% of the stuff that we do here comes from referrals of one form or another.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and some of those referrals are from friends, and some of those friends happen to be other designers and developers.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and I'm really happy about that. So I don't think that there's anything wrong at all in, in getting to work th- for, you know, people that you like, um, or people that know you. In fact, I think that's probably the best kind of work to get, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, that way you don't have to kind of big yourself up because they already trust you.
0: So I think when, when we start talking about getting work, a lot of people We'll think that that's somehow a sales and marketing exercise. Mm. You know, how do you get work? How do you promote yourself? Is, you know, the the two questions kind of go hand
1: in hand. You sort of think about, well, would you, would you put an ad in yellow pages? Would you, um, take an ad out in a newspaper? The sort of traditional methods of, of advertising.
0: Yeah. But if you think about it marketing is just i mean it's no it's no more complicated than this kids it's it's just making sure that the people that you want to buy from you you know you want to do work for um, they know what you do and what you don't do because that's important too yeah and how to get in touch with you simple as that there's nothing else there's nothing else to marketing that's that's it and however you do that whether it's through you know if you can reach Your potential buyers through, well, it doesn't matter what the medium is, is it? Putting an ad in yellow pages is, is just as valid as, as anything else. If that's where people are going to be looking for what you do,
1: it will, it will determine the types of clients you get.
0: Uh, Definitely, definitely. But if people, if the people that you want to work with are the kind of people that, I don't know, follow you on Twitter, um, or come to conferences or, Uh, listen to podcasts, for example, Mm. then that's what marketing is. Um, and if that's, if if people find out about you through others, then that's marketing. And it doesn't get much simpler than that. I mean, I think, you know, if we could go back back to brass tacks, If you think about what happens when you start a business or you go freelance, you'd probably be a few cans short of a six-pack if you did that without having some kind of work lined up.
1: Yeah, and that's something that I've noticed in all the questions. It's how do you get that initial client? And I think normally people ask me, how do you get clients generally? But let's say tomorrow you're out of a job and you suddenly decide to set up as a freelancer and you need that first client how do you go about doing that
0: well i'll tell you one way that you go about and we'll talk about ways in which you can do this later on uh, in more detail but you go out there and find them is a is the simple answer <laughs>
1: you make it sound so easy
0: no, no Well, okay <laughs>
1: here's one
0: <laughs> okay there's no shortage of clients out there there is no shortage of people wanting work done I mean, I know the economy is bad and, you know, I've known better times, but that doesn't mean to say that there are people out there, that there aren't people out there that want work doing. The point so, is, if so you it, just
1: go to a dinner party and you say, I build websites, I guarantee you there will be someone in that room who says, oh, I need a website. Yeah. And
0: the point is, is that not that there aren't clients out there, the point is, is that they might not know what you do and whether you can work for them. Yeah. And... That's where putting your message out there is important. There's no no shortage of people out there wanting work done. Whether or not it's the right work. Yeah. And whether or not they're the clients that are right for you is a different thing.
1: I think if you're, if you're starting out and you don't have an awful lot of experience, the best thing you can do is just tell as many of your friends and family as you can that you're, you know, that you're looking for work and that you're a web, designer, web developer, because they will inevitably know someone who's a king.
0: Well, I think I've told you this story before, but uh, how we got started was I was working for uh, a below the line advertising agency down in London. And I'd, I'd, I'd got out of the, the creative game for many years. I'd got into sales and I got into digital photography and I was desperate to get back and do something a little bit more creative, but a little, and a little bit kind of low, lower pressure because mm. the sales jobs that I was in were pretty high pressure. And I worked, I worked at this agency for about 18 months or so. And through one kind of family reason or another, we decided that we wanted to move. Um, and in, in one of those kind of like, I have no plan, but we're going to go do it anyway. Um, you know, my family and I decided that we were going to move up here to North Wales. So we did and we within a week within a month of deciding it we'd moved more or less
1: to the middle of nowhere Yeah
0: it's not quite the middle of nowhere but yeah we'd we'd moved to somewhere where we didn't really know anybody except some family um and I we we had no job we had no house at this point we rented for a while um we had to find a school and we started off with with nothing and luckily I got a a a technical support gig for a company in america who i'd known and they said we we need somebody to handle technical support on one of our digital cameras yeah it's kind of mainly phone support so you -hmm. can work from home and we'll pay you a load of stuff so that's what i did for uh, six to nine months i suppose and while i was doing that uh and because I've been doing some web work at the agency, this is back in kind of I don't know, ninety seven, quite early on. Yeah. A few people started to say, So, you know, do you know anything do you know anything about this internet business? <laughs> and and I to be honest, I blag it. And like, yeah, of course I know. And you know, you take it from there. And of course at that point nobody really knew, did they? You know, it was, it was new to everybody, but that's how we got started. And you do one job and then you do another job and things kind of snowballed.
2: Mm.
0: And that's part of how, part of how we started. Um, you know, like, like lots of other things that we've done in life, there wasn't any plan necessarily <laughs> to it. We never wrote a business plan. So, I mean, that's how we got started. And you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, 15 years later, we're still blagging it, really. Like everybody else who works on the web, you just make it up as you go along.
1: Exactly. I think there's this kind of misconception that everyone knows what they're doing.
0: No, they really don't. (laughs) One of the things that was, I think, important, particularly when you live and work in a, a small area like we do, is people do talk to each other, particularly in certain industries. Mm. Um, and I want to talk about this a little bit later on, but if you can encourage uh, referrals, then people will do your sales and marketing for you.
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, Mike Montero, uh, he wrote this book, Design as a Job, published mm-hmm. by a Book Apart. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's Yeah, it's a really good book. And he makes a lot of good points about this kind of topic. I mean, he starts off, I think, chapter two is about referrals.
1: I need to get that book.
0: No, you really should. It's it's.
1: You keep mentioning it.
0: I know, it's Diamond. It really is. I think everybody should just go out and buy it now.
1: Okay, I'll I'll buy designer's job if you get free agent.
0: Okay, deal. (laughs) And he makes a couple of points, which are basically, it boils down to two things as far as Mike's concerned. Be pleasant to work with. And he makes a big point. That doesn't mean to say you have to be nice. It doesn't have to, doesn't mean to say that you have to go, you know, agree with everything that the client wants. Um, or, you know, make the logo bigger every time, but you know, just be pleasant to work with and do good work. And I think that that's about as much marketing that you, as, as you need to do because people will talk to each other. That's been our experience anyway.
1: That's interesting because, uh, last, the last dot net magazine that got published they asked what's the best way to find new client work and they sent sort of emails out to a load of designers and developers and everyone sent their replies back and uh laura cowbag wrote um i think clients value friendliness honesty and frequent communication unfortunately these qualities can be rare in freelancers so if you hone them clients will want to shout out about you i yeah. think that's that's spot on what what you were just saying
0: i, th- I think that i th- what she said there makes a lot of sense. Um, that's been our experience recently. I mean, we've been doing a lot of work in Switzerland mm. and I, and I know that's because in the circles where our clients move, they talk to each other. Mm. And, you know, if you want to get a plumber or a decorator, you know you're not going to be necessarily flicking through yellow pages and pulling somebody out at random you're going to be talking to a friend or a relative and saying or somebody that you work with a coworker or whatever you're going to be saying you know you don't know a good decorator here i need somebody to paint my bedroom um you know, you're going to go off recommendation and you know out there in the in the client world it's no different
1: mm. and that's kind of encouraging to people starting out these because- you know, it's only kind of the first few months, I think, that you really have to be conscious of of how your marketing is working and who you're talking to, and just really getting the word out there. And after that, it gets a lot easier. Things Pe- snowball; people talk to each other. Soon, you'll you know you'll be <laughs> struggling to fit it all in.
0: And get your friends to recommend you, also, because if you think about some of the people that we know who have gone freelance in the last year um you know i know people that are really good at javascript that i would recommend i know people that are really good at expression engine development that i would recommend and i know several people that know those things and others that have gone freelance and i've tweeted about it yeah or they've tweeted about it and said you know i'm looking for i'll be looking for work from next month onwards because i'm going freelance and you know the retweets go out yeah and that's a, a fantastic way yeah, I mean, That's putting in the word.
1: don't be ashamed to do that sort of thing. It's Ooh, it's God perfectly no. acceptable. Yeah. I mean, some people think it's bad to look, you know, oh, if I tweet that I've got availability, then maybe I'll look like I shouldn't have availability. And, you know, I, I think it's perfectly acceptable. In well,
0: there's, a, there's all kinds of reasons why you might have a week or two spare.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, a project might get cancelled. Um, you might. Just have a gap in availability between two projects it's it's fine to to just say you've got availability
0: and you know sometimes i'd rather have a gap than have two things overlap because that's when the stress levels rise oh
1: yeah definitely
0: yeah you get something that comes in like you know two or three days late and it pushes it so that you've got two things that you have to do at the same time oh i hate that <laughs>
1: hate it's, that it's also the two most stressful parts of a project you know that Right at the end and right at the start, all kind of mixed together.
0: Yeah. I'm a hopeless multitasker. So if I'm thinking about, you know, one, trying to solve one problem or come up with a design for one thing,
2: mm-hmm. the
0: last thing I want is to be interrupted and have to think about something else with when they, you know, particularly if it's the end of a job and you've got that added stress of thinking, well, I need to get this finished because I need to get this invoiced. Exactly. Laura made a good point though, in what you just mentioned in terms of communication.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because one thing that I've not done so well over the last years and something that I hope that now we're getting a little bit more organized and you know we have our new designer here uh I might have more time for us to do is to design our sales process. And you could, I don't mean that in a kind of a cynical way but we design user experiences for clients Mm -hmm. and you know you do that all day long why shouldn't we design our own user experience so everything from you know that first kind of interaction Mm -hmm. when somebody picks up the phone um and or somebody drops you an email as you know just often happens every day you know you get something through your inbox that says i'm looking for a website Design what that first response is. Yeah. And think about putting yourself in a client's shoes because they often have got way less experience of running or commissioning or working on a web project than you have. Um, you know, much more than them because you've done it hundreds of times. Mm. Um, and they may want guiding. So make that experience as personable and as professional and as informative as you can you know think about what would you do in that situation you get something come through through in the email and uh they say hi you know we work for widgets r us and we'd like a new website um okay what's the next step what are they thinking at this point what are they expecting to get back well obviously they're starting a dialogue with you Mm. so what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to get to a point where you can have a conversation with them, you know, a voice conversation.
2: Yeah.
0: Because, you know, there's a hell of a lot more. Um, it's, it's, it's a hell of a lot better to talk to people on the phone than it is to, uh, you know, just write things on an email.
1: Yeah.
0: So while you're waiting for that phone call to happen, yeah, sure, you're going to say in the email, this sounds brilliant, a really yeah, really enthusiastic about helping you with this project. Um, be great if we can set up a Skype call or, or a, a phone call. Are you just going to leave it there,
2: mm.
0: or are you going to send something with it? Are you going to say an attachment to say, uh, you know, you know, while you, while we're waiting to set up the call, here's something that you might like to read about our design process.
2: Huh.
0: Here's here's a link to something that we wrote about uh, a project which is similar in scope to yours that you might have, you know, published on your blog. Think about those kind of interactions too, mm. because that's part of your sales process. It's part of the user experience for a customer dealing with you.
1: That's a really good idea.
0: And then what's the other way, right? So they, they send you an email and they say, hi, it's Bob from Widgets R Us again. Um <laughs> Yeah, we realized that we didn't send you a lot of information the last time because we just said how much for a website. Um, and you've asked for more information, um, which is obviously the case Because often you get back to people, don't you, and you say, that sounds fantastic. Can you just give me a little bit more information for your requirements? Yeah. Now, I bet half the time they haven't sit and written those things down yet. So how do you generate that request for proposal? How do you get the information out of them? Do you talk them through something on a a phone call, which I always find is the best way? Yeah. Something structured, not an interview, but, you know, a nice structured conversation so you can get all your, your boxes ticked. Or if you can't do that, do you have an online system, you know, an online kind of RFP, or do you just have a Word document? Now, again, put yourself in the client's position and you know all of a sudden they've got this kind of RFP that is asking them for a budget and other sites that they like and you know other stuff that people put into an RFP is that the best experience is that how you want to help people
1: because mm-hmm. at
0: the end of the day they want to give you money <laughs>
1: yeah i guess i think that approach can feel a little impersonal like you're just kind of doesn't i don't think it would make the client feel very special
0: no so i and i'll tell you something i we don't have the right approach to this yet um but it's something that i've been thinking of
1: it's i guess it's difficult for like i can see an agency doing that because they i guess they might get a lot of requests a day and it's kind of you, you, you know do you spend all day on the phone talking to potential clients who just wouldn't be suitable for the agency or or do you have something on the site that just kind of gives a bit more information before they even make that initial request?
0: Yeah. And you need to weigh up the best way for your yeah. business, of course. But thinking about that, designing that, that experience, that process, uh, I think says a lot about how you do business.
2: Yeah.
0: And your, your estimates too, how you deal with your estimates, how you deal with um, once you've sent the quote, how do you then deal with follow-ups yeah you know, i know people say well you know we leave it a week and then we'll drop them another email um but you know, thinking about what you follow up with you know, if you really want that piece of business then what are you following up with you've got to think to yourself what are the unanswered questions that that client could have about me right now mm. that's stopping them from picking up the phone and going yeah, absolutely. Let's start tomorrow. Uh, what can they be thinking? Um, and use that as an opportunity to answer those questions.
1: Yeah. yeah and maybe also just by yeah, sending them, them something. Give them the opportunity to get stuff ready before you have that phone call.
0: Exactly. So there's lots involved. And I think that the key thing here, and again, we'll talk about this more in a minute, is just because you're good and just because you want the work doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to come to you or you necessarily deserve it. Mm. You know, we all have to go out there and, and get stuff and get work. Um, it isn't ours by right. Um, and I think that that's an important message, you know. It's-
1: and also the way that you start a project often determines the way that it will carry on. So if you start with a really good impression – and, you know, this is the way that that I work and this is the kind of the things that I expect of you. And it, it's that it's maintaining that relationship.
0: Well, it's a professional relationship is yeah. what you're setting out. Um, and, and sort of
1: saying, I know my stuff. I've yeah. done this before. You're in good hands. And, you
0: know, at the end of the day, from a kind of a selfish business point of view, you're helping yourself to get the work. Um, and hopefully, as you say, you're making the process and the job smoother because everybody knows what their expectations are and, you know, and all of that.
1: Yeah. We've got another sponsor, haven't we?
0: We have. I'm really excited about our second sponsor. (laughs) Always excited
1: about our sponsors.
0: Well, no, do you know what? We talked about this sponsors earlier on, but our sponsors are less like interruptions and more like kind of public service announcements. Yeah. Um, There's there's
1: stuff that we use and we like.
0: Yeah. And this guy, and I'll I'll tell you about this guy more in a minute. When I've done the read, but this, this to me is a proper business. This is a, re- this is, this is a proper business that to support. Um, it's Blush, the, the letterpress printers. And, uh, have you come across Blush yet?
1: I have. I've seen lots of, um, pictures on Flickr, people sort of showing off their gorgeous business cards and things.
0: Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Letterpress. Uh, Blush mix, the kind of technology that we use every day with, 16th century printing methods to provide beautiful and I'm really talking beautiful printing for designers and artists. And like you say, they'll print business cards and Christmas cards and personalized stationery and even wedding stationery. All on beautiful papers that they source from all over the world. So if you, if you can design it, Blush will print it. They'll do it beautifully. So have a look at their blog for some of the things that they've printed recently. You'll be really, really impressed. Um, if you're new to Letterpress, Mark and his people will help and they'll advise you through every stage of a project. And, ah, oh, that's just so nice to work with. I know that from first-hand experience because they work just like a few miles away from my house. And I don't know about you, but there's, there's something about the smell of ink and oil and old machines. I just like to go there and hang out. It's It's a fantastic place. And if you can't get up to North Wales to visit, you can ask them to tweet photos of your project while it's being printed, <laughs> which is so cool. They call it Letterpress Live. So you can follow Blush on Twitter, which is at Blush Publishing, or just have a look out for the Letterpress Live hashtag. So everybody loves Letterpress printing, right? And Blush are the people to go to if you want the best printing and service and you want to support a small family business who really do take pride in what they do i love those guys find out more about what blush do by visiting blushpublishing.co.uk slash unfinished i've got got one here on my desk i have a five simple steps bookmark
1: i got one of them too blush made those
0: blush made those
1: they do um, these really nice ones, uh, I've seen pictures of, where it's like the card will be sort of completely white, but the edges will be a different colour, like red or something. Yep. It's so gorgeous.
0: I really, really admire these people. They they saw a gap in the market. They were a traditional kind of greeting card um, printing company. They're bespoke, but, and they were specialising in letterpress, but they saw a... I love whether you say a gap in the market, for bespoke designer printing.
2: Mm.
0: And, you know, I know so many people that have had their business cards and their stationery and their wedding invitations and their Christmas cards and all kinds of stuff printed by Blush.
1: There was a film, I can't remember what it's called, but it's all about kind of letterpress machines and how they're being destroyed because they're they're just, you know, people don't know how to use them or... They've been replaced by by new technology. Uh, have you seen it?
0: No, I haven't seen that.
1: I'll put I'll put the link in the show notes. I can't remember what it's called now, but um, they were showing it at Build Conference. Um, right. it was it's kind of like it's a film, a bit like Helvetica or um something like that. And yeah, just yeah, it was really sad that all these old machines that are, are just they're they're huge, huge machines, and there's just so few of them left. And I guess they use something like that to do mm. it. Oh, yeah, and they've got just they've got
0: a couple of hundred-year-old printing presses there.
1: The quality that you get is just so good.
0: I know people are going to pick me up on this, so I might as well just explain this now. And I said that they're a proper business.
1: Saying, <laughs> I was wondering that. What
0: I'm not saying, saying that, that other businesses of other lovely sponsors are not proper businesses. But, you know, when I, when I look at... You know, what we consider to be businesses these days and we get all excited about startups,
2: mm.
0: you know, and, uh, investor funded things and, you know, all this kind of, you know, capital investment going into startups and tech and whatever. And all these companies that, you know, they grow to a size and they never make any money. Yeah. Cause they're all funded.
2: Mm.
0: And, you know, to me, a proper business is where somebody puts their life into doing the best thing that they can for people and they'll, you know, they'll buy machines if machines are needed and they'll have a shop if the shop is needed. And, you know, they've expand, you know, as and when the, you know, they'll grow as and when needed and and they're making a profit the whole time. And to me, that's, that's, that's grassroots proper business to me. And they'll just
1: do the same thing, but really, really well. They'll do just one, they'll focus on one thing
0: yeah I mean they they really do I think businesses like that deserve our support I really do because I mean I, I've mentioned this before the break, but doesn't mean to say that necessarily just because you're good at something uh you deserve to get work, you have to put effort into it yeah this is I've got a tweet here uh, a couple of days ago from uh Dave McNally. He said to us, hoping Anna and Andy cover finding more clients on unfinished business as i need the help maybe not an issue they had though and i thought oh hello that's that 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 stung a little bit because i don't want people to think that just because we're doing this kind of show talking about business that that we have all the answers and that we've never had to you know struggle to, f- to find work, because, boy, have we struggled to find work in the past.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I I had a whole year where I was just kind of scraping the barrel, just doing anything that I could do. Um, and, yeah, when you start out, it's, it's difficult.
0: So when we needed to be more serious about business and we needed to start getting more work and things that weren't just knocking on our door, We had to think about how we were going to, how we were going to do that. And what we did was we looked around at the state of the web industry in North Wales in 1998, 1999. And we looked at what other people were doing and we looked at what other businesses were offering. And in some cases, I went to see those people. In fact, some of our great Great friends long standing friends up here run a hosting company, and we hosted our websites um, for many years with them. Hmm. so we looked at what was going on and we looked at the the businesses that were up here and we, we did a couple of things uh, to get our business kick started. I mean one thing that we did do was that my wife Sue would sit. And literally go through yellow pages and mark up businesses that she thought were good for cold calling.
2: Uh
0: And we did that. You know, we spent a year, two years, three years, I think it was literally cold calling. And I was used to that. You know, I was from a sales background. So I could handle that. I didn't mind the rejection. (laughs) People would put the phone down. I know, I know people go, Oh, bloody hell, you did that. And that was horrible. And and I could never do that, but
1: do you think that's still relevant today?
0: I think that it could be relevant today. Yes.
1: Mm.
0: I don't know whether I would be comfortable doing it still, but you know, bearing in mind that I was selling cameras and and photographic equipment uh, around London for nigh on eight years. Mm. And, you know, I had my regular clients, but. But a lot of the time, you know, there's so many thousands of photographers in London and, you know, I didn't deal with all of them. I would go knock on doors. Yeah. I just, you know, literally, literally knock on a door and they'd open it and I go, hi, I'm Andy <laughs> from.
2: <Hi.
0: laughs> I know. i would tell you what, it doesn't have to teach you. It teaches you how to do, th- do stuff. Mm. So we did that. And then I remember a, a lesson from, uh, my, one of my biggest mentors, Joe. Who taught me so much about sales, uh, and we worked together at a company that sold the first digital cameras in the UK, and nobody was buying them. <laughs> <laughs> Photographers didn't want them because traditionally they didn't like spending large amounts of money, and so they didn't buy them. So they told clients that digital photography wasn't relevant. Uh, the printers and the pre-press houses and the other people in the in the chain uh they had vested interests so they didn't want digital photography to succeed at that point mm-hmm. um and the clients just did what everybody else told them <laughs> so what joe did which was a genius thing was he picked the main players in catalog photography you know the big kind of mail order catalogs yeah he picked the big studios that worked with that he picked uh the tesco which was the biggest supermarket at the time that had their own studios, Uh, Nestle in one kind of area. And what we did was we picked about half a dozen industries and we went after the main player. And within the space of 18 months, two years, we'd sold digital studios to all of these big players. And that started the trickle down because those clients were demanding digital photography from their studios Mm. whereas in the past because they'd seen it working and that was a great tactic that was that was joe's genius
1: you should uh you should be on the apprentice
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i would tell you what joe Joe is an amazing amazing character we'll talk about joe another time but taught me so much so anyway back to back to stuff so one of the things that we did when we were at the kind of cold calling stage i mean this is back even 2000 2001 a little bit later is that we'd look at, for example, hotelier associations. And we pitched and got a job for a hotel association in Clendidno. And, you know, obviously the area where we live is, it has a lot of hotels. It has a lot of caravan parks
2: mm.
0: for, you know, people coming from the Northwest and, and other places. So by getting that one gig with a tourism association, that opened the door to quite a lot of hotels in the area that you know that wouldn't have necessarily been aware of us before
2: yeah
0: and you know we did that with several kind of industries so yeah we went out there and we we got the work um so never be afraid to do that never be afraid to push yourself forward you know have that confidence
1: something i did when when i started out was um I, well, the first thing I did was I went to a Business Inc. startup workshop. I don't know if they still do then, but there's certainly like, you know, getting started in business meetups. And um I think it's quite a few breakfast mornings as well. You can go to them and just, you know, mention that you're, that you can build websites and, and because everyone there's starting their own business, they all want websites. And so that was a really good way to get business. And another thing I did was um I emailed a few, people who had really, really bad websites that I wanted to redesign. And I just said, your website's really bad because I can't do this. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if you had a really nice website? Oh, by the way, I can make websites. Um, and that was a good way as well. But I don't think I'd do that again.
0: <laughs> but I don't think there's anything wrong with it.
1: No, no. When you're starting out, I think it's, you know, sort of thing that you end up doing.
0: It's being enthusiastic about what you do and being good at it and telling people that. Yeah. And, you know, at the very, very most basic level, that's it, isn't it? That's all that we're trying to do is to say, listen, I could do a really good job and you're going to get a lot of benefit out of working with me on, you know, improving this thing that we can make.
1: But when you do that, just make sure that you're professional, that you're organized, that, you know, you have things like a contract and... Do, do things like deposits, you know. yeah, yeah, <laughs> all the things that we recommend.
0: I don't think I've ever told you this though, but we had we had to start our business twice. All right, and I don't think I've ever told this story publicly. So this is the first time that that I think I've ever spoken about this.
1: Exclusive.
0: Exclusive. Well, no, we started we started stuff and nonsense back in ninety eight, and we started it again in 2006, although nobody even knows this. And what happened in 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 the intervening years was that we got involved with another business and we uh, had a business partner. And I'm not going to go into the details because I don't air any dirty laundry in public, but let's just say that it didn't work out. Hmm. Let's just say that our expectations didn't align and um, we decided that, after, you know, a lot of agony, that we weren't going to continue with it. And I think that was the best thing all round. So what we did at the tail end of 2006, and this is round about the time when Transcending CSS came out, yeah, was that we literally started from scratch and we didn't have anything. We didn't have a single client. We didn't have a single piece of equipment. We weren't allowed to use our previous client base. So we couldn't contact people that we've worked with before. Wow. And we had nothing. The only thing that we had was, you know, one or two bits of assets that we'd managed to kind of keep hold of. And fortunately, we'd kept the stuff and nonsense name, although it had been sort of sitting dormant for a while. We kept the business entity And we'd kept the VAT registration going, Mm. um, even though we weren't actually using them for while we were doing this other business. So we literally um, had to start from scratch. And we started from going to the Apple store and buying a white iBook.
2: Mm.
0: That was it. And everything kind of had to start again from scratch. Uh, because our agreement had been that we weren't going to, we, we weren't able to deal with any of the customers that mm-hmm. we dealt with before. Even the customers that weren't, um, the new business, they were, uh, you know, a long-standing stuff and nonsense customers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we weren't, we weren't able to deal with those unless they came knocking. Yeah. Um, which fortunately some did. So we were, we were literally on our uppers and had to start from scratch. And that was, that was it. That was. Very, very hard to do. Yeah. Um, and we had to do it the same way. Um, we had to do it literally by taking whatever work we could get, you know, taking work that might not have seemed like a great fit, but you know, we needed, we needed the work. We needed the money. We needed to build our portfolio again. Um, and I don't think I'd like to, (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that experience <laughs> for people. But, we you know, we really do know what it's like to, you know, to have to do that. And this wasn't that long ago.
1: Was it easier the second time?
0: No, it was a lot harder. Um Because you had
1: kind of more to lose?
0: Yes, and because I think that I was carrying a lot of emotional baggage, um about the business and what had happened.
2: Mm.
0: And I found that quite hard to deal with. Um, so I was also feeling quite, um, what's the word really? Insecure. Mm. Insecure about my own abilities as a designer, to be perfectly honest. Um, I hadn't really done much design work um affect any design work for that whole year, Um uh, you know, while I was writing that book, I didn't touch a single piece of client work. So all of a sudden to have to get back into it uh, was was actually a really, really hard thing to do.
1: Yeah. And that's difficult as as someone running your own business. If you're not confident about what you're doing, that kind of shows.
0: It took a while. It took a while. And that's why I carried that baggage for quite a long time. And I was, I don't think fear is too strong a word, really. I was terrified um, about the thought of, you know, growing a business again. And, you know, as recently as hiring somebody. Yeah. Because, you know, I looked back to what happened before and thought, I don't want that to happen again. That was too painful. Mm. Um. So I think that it was, uh, it did, it did it did have a, a big impact on me for a long time. Um, but you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, isn't that's what people say, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, we're still here. We should button it up.
1: You should? <laughs> so you can email me at she has and Andy at he has at or you can email us both at they have. At unfinished.bz. You can find all the links we mentioned in this episode in the show notes, and they're at unfinished.bz forward slash six. And to ask us questions and suggest topics, message us on Twitter at unfinishedbz.
0: Thanks again to our fantastic two sponsors this week, Blush and Free Agent. Blush does beautiful letterpress printing of cards, stationery, and more for designers and artists. Find out more about them. Find out more about Blush at blushpublishing.com couk slash unfinished
1: and let's not forget free agent the web app that helps you with your business accounts find out more at freeagent.com forward slash unfinished
0: see you next week
1: see you next week